Tonight we start with the question of why do we worship today? Why do we worship on Good Friday? It is, it is very strange to some. Think about it. Think about what, is, what has happened. This day starts at 8 a.m. with Jesus being condemned by Pilate. At 9 a.m., after he has been led upon the road carrying the cross, he is crucified. At 12, at noon, darkness covers the land, signaling the separation that has come between the Father and the Son as the Son is carrying the weight of sin upon him. And as three hours pass, at 3 p.m., he dies. And then finally, at 6 p.m., he is carried off by Joseph of Arimathea and buried in the tomb. That is the day of Good Friday. But these are the things that are just perceived on Good Friday. These are the things that the world and the disciples saw Jesus doing, but it alone is not why we worship. Our worship tonight is not the sad remembrance of our Savior's death, thinking that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It is not us sorrowing over the weight and gravity of our sins that put him there. It is not anywhere near simple thankfulness in an example that he gave us. But rather, Good Friday and our worship tonight is about the glorious declaration that the purpose of God was accomplished. Well, what was his purpose? His purpose at the cross was to once and for all reconcile God and man. That the separation of sin and death that existed between God and man, that our sin had separated us from him, was reconciled once and for all by Jesus on the cross. So that is what he did. And this purpose is a beautiful story. The gospel is a beautiful story that we love to retell. And thankfully, we can retell it in so many ways because it is spoken of so often in the scripture. And tonight, we are going to look at the reason, the purpose of Good Friday through the text Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9 is not a text that people turn to very often. It is not something that you are just, when you're feeling low, you say, you know what, well, pick me up, Isaiah 25. But it is amazing. Isaiah is considered one of the greatest works of literature in history. It is the, it's one of the largest books of the Bible next to the Psalms and it is just, it's poetry. It's beautiful, beautiful poetry. We do not honor Isaiah as we should. But tonight we are going to look at this text. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. And Isaiah starts right off with what is happening on this day that he is speaking of. And it begins, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine 
well refined. Our first, our first statement in the text is that the Lord is drawing people to something. The Lord is bringing people together, drawing them to himself. And that he would do it through something that is welcoming. Through an amazing dinner. You can, you can hear the tones of the Gospel of John by reading that. That comes so much later when Christ himself changes the water into wine as he began his ministry. So this is how it begins, with a table and a feast. But then Isaiah reveals the purpose of this meal, the purpose of the Lord drawing in all the people together as he continues in verse 7. And he, the Lord of hosts, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord has brought them together. He has beautifully brought them together for this great and amazing day, but little do they know that his reason for bringing them was their plight, was their downfall, the fact that he knew of their situation, that they were covered with this veil. They had this covering over them, this blanket, this, this weight, and it is death. And death had devastated each nation equally that it made them all the same. Hear that. Death is a great equalizer. There is no rich nor poor in death. There is no greater or lesser in death. Death comes for everyone. And the Lord knew this and saw this and saw its effect on every single nation. Not Israel alone, but every nation that surrounded Everyone was condemned. Everyone was under the curse. Everyone knew the veil of death. So the Lord takes death and swallows it up. He brought them together to take away that which cursed them, that which destroyed them, that which led them into dismay. So interesting. The Lord takes death and he swallows it up. Yet when we think of something that has, has an insatiable hunger, we usually think of the grave. The grave is never quenched. It never stops being hungry. There is no seeming number of deaths that would ever stop it. It consumes over and over and over. So that which could not be stopped from consuming, is consumed by him who was and is and ever will be. This imagery, is this, this text is usually displayed through an image of a cup. A cup of wrath that is filled to the brim and Christ himself drinks that cup. The punishment of sin that we deserve. 
And this poison cup, this consuming of death, it was not him simply carrying the weight of your original sin. It is not just the little bit of your condemnation so that now that Christ has taken that, you are free to make right choices. You now, since Christ has carried the cross and and paid the punishment of sin, now you can do well. You can go and live your life and make the decisions that God would want from you. No, rather, this cup that he drinks, this death that he swallows up, is the punishment, the deserved punishment for each of our sins, past, present, and future. Those sins were bore by him, carried by him on the cross. But he doesn't just swallow death. Verse 8 continues. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Jesus in one moment on the cross doesn't just swallow up the whole of condemnation that we deserve for our sins. He doesn't just take away the judgment and penalty of our sins. He takes the condemnation, the deserved wrath, the punishment, but additionally, he takes away the sadness, the guilt, the reproach, Everything we deserve, he places upon himself. He takes it all upon himself. He swallows it whole. And he takes us who have felt the weight of our sin all of our life and have known not only the condemnation for it, but the very sadness we feel when we look upon what we have done and regret it. He takes that away. And then additionally, he looks upon the guilt that we feel over our sin, knowing that not only should we not have done it, and not only do we feel bad about it, but we equally continuously feel the pressing weight of guilt for our lies, for our hatred, for our mistreatment of others, for all the things that we in this world do against one another in the name of sin. He takes that guilt and says, you don't have to carry it anymore. Because I am. You don't have to feel the sadness for your sin. Because I have bore that sadness. I am wiping away these tears. I am taking this reproach. And I am taking The punishment. He carried that all perfectly on that day through those ten hours, really six hours 
from the 9 a.m. at crucifixion to when he was buried long after he was dead. Several hours pass. At 3 p.m. he dies. And Christ has done all of that in a single moment. But Isaiah is not done prophesying. 750 years could not separate the prophet and his vision of what the Lord would do from that which we know has occurred at the cross on Easter and on Good Friday that we celebrate tonight. No, he finishes with verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, let me just say that one more time. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. This, that he might save us. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus goes to the cross. He carries our debt. He carries our punishment. He carries the wrath of God. He dies in our stead, taking away our sadness, our tears, and our guilt on himself. What is next? Verse 9 says, Worship. Worship. This is what the Lord has done. Worship. Why do we worship tonight? Because honestly, friends, what else is there to do? What else? We have no sin to pay for anymore. He paid it all. We have no guilt to feel. He has carried the guilt and condemnation of sin on himself. And we have no tears that we should be shedding. Because he has wiped them away. And we know that the story doesn't end at his death. That he rose. So what are we to do? We must worship. So let me ask you tonight, if you have come here feeling condemned by the sins in your life, if you have come here feeling sad at the sins in your life, if you have come here wrought with guilt, if you have come here not trusting or placing your faith in Christ, let me tell you, the weight of sin, the penalty of sin, the deserved punishment of sin was taken there 2,000-ish years ago perfectly by Christ. And tonight, we are here to worship. Tonight, this is why we are worshiping. Because of what he has done. That's why we worship on Good Friday. And let me tell you, Sunday is coming. And we are going to worship again 
Because Sunday, we will celebrate what he gives us and what he rose to and the fact that he is alive and that our life is in him. Please join me as we pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you died for our sins. But more so, we thank you that we worship tonight not as some kind of payment to you. That we worship tonight not out of a feeling of guilt or shame, but rather that we worship tonight because we know you have done this. And that it is beautiful and we are free. So we ask, as we look upon the sins that you have taken away at the cross, and as we celebrate the death you died and the life you now live, we pray that you would change us, that you would transform us, and that you would grow us in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.